0: give it to somebody. <laughs> no. Uh, glad you're here this morning. Today is April 25th and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 again this morning. And uh, looking more into the greeting that, uh, that Paul gives them. Uh, last week we explored uh, Paul's relationship and how that was established with the, the people in Philippi and uh, some of the history there. And uh, we're going to go ahead and we'll just open up. We'll read uh, verses 1 through 11 again this morning. And uh, we'll get into the word, okay? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Lord, I thank you for today, and Lord, I thank you for the example of both Paul and the Philippians. Uh, Lord, and I just uh, pray that today we are, uh, Lord, just drawn near to you, uh, Father, and that we are uh, equipped and completely faithful and, and obedient to your word, and I just praise you for it today in Christ's name, amen. So at the beginning, uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. Paul includes Timothy in the greeting, but Timothy is not described as a co-author. Philippians 1. Uh, Timothy is not described as a co-author. And later on we'll see in in Philippians chapter 2 that uh, Timothy is included in the greeting because he is in chains with Paul. Uh, at this particular time. Now, when we read through um, Acts 16 last week and we were talking about the, uh, um, Paul's encounter as he went to Philippi, the writing of Philippians is approximately 10 years later. And so as he's writing this, um, 10 years after, he's describing how, how much joy he has for the people of Philippi because of their faithfulness. Uh, before, because of their, um, their persistence in following in, from the first day. Um, I don't know about you, but when I started professing Jesus Christ as my Savior, I don't know that I was 100% obedient to it immediately uh, because I professed Jesus Christ for a long time before I really truly started obeying Jesus Christ. And so I don't go by when I professed, I go by when Jesus says, okay, now you're obeying me. And, and so um, that's what we need to look at. Paul describes them. Um, we know that, that Philippi was a, was a Roman uh, colony, and he describes them, I and as soon as he gave them the gospel message, it gave them the clear understanding of who Jesus is and their condition, they changed immediately and, and were faithful from day one. And so this is this is a pretty awesome thing that he describes. Um, I just wanted to clarify something. Uh, I, I, had, I was talking to someone this week, and they were asking me, now, is Saul and Paul the same person? And I said, yeah, God changed Saul's name to Paul. Well, that's not completely true, because uh, <laughs> as I was studying this, I answered that question incorrectly. Uh, Saul is the Hebrew name for the apostle, and Paul is the Gentile name. So when we read through Acts 13 we see where when he leaves on his first missionary journey and he gets to Crete, he says, Saul, who is also called Paul. um, So both names apply, but since Saul is uh, Jesus' tool to the Gentiles, I forgot the word there, I'm sorry, is messenger (laughs) to the Gentiles, um, he goes by the name Paul because that's the name that's understood and and so that's his position uh, as well as as far as the commission of Jesus Christ to him. Uh, So Paul is is Jesus has chosen to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. We see that in Acts 9 15 and we also see that in Galatians chapter 2 in verse 9 he describes himself that way as well. So instead of interestingly um, in verse 1 he says servants of Christ Jesus. Now how does Paul usually address himself in all of his other letters, or most of his other letters? Okay. I, I'm going to say yes, but that's not completely the answer I was looking for. Um, he always, in, in many of his other letters, he, he affirms his apostleship, um, where in this particular one he's calling himself a servant, uh, and the servant means something slightly different, means more of a slave. Uh, in the Greek language to Christ and so he's describing himself slightly different in this particular uh, passage and we'll look at that a little bit more in a few minutes. So he's not referring to his apostleship as frequently as he did and he calls Timothy and himself a servant of Christ Jesus. Timothy's not a co-author like I said uh, but he does have a special interest in the Philippian saints and is associated with Paul's imprisonment and that's in, in chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. We'll look at that in a few weeks, probably. But Paul calls them holy people or saints, uh, meaning that those are set apart. Um, they, were, they were set apart because they were. he refers to them as in Christ in Philippi or at Philippi. Um, to God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. So... His, uh, his description in his greeting, he uses two words that, describe, that are descriptive of, of Christian graces. And he says, grace and peace to you, in verse 2, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the order of the words is significant. Um, and, and I'm beginning to notice this more and more, that often when those two words are used together, grace is first and peace is second and the reason for that um, before there can be any genuine peace there must be a personal response to God's grace so when we read Ephesians 2 8 9 for by grace you are saved through faith and we've heard about this as Jim's been going through Romans as well grace comes when faith is put into action and we obey then we receive God's grace when we're obedient to what god has called us to we receive peace because we know that we're under the the directive and the protection of jesus christ and we're doing what he has told us so everything that happens to us has to pass through his authority and his permission first when we step out of that there is no peace because there's the reality that we're out of his will and when we when we step out of his will um, then there is no protection per se. He still has to allow the things to happen. It's not that he's no longer sovereign over everything in the spirit realm. But until there's repentance and we're drawn back into uh, fellowship with him, then is when the peace begins to come again. So there must be a personal response to God's grace. Um, And both grace and peace find their source in God our Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Greek words for the Lord Jesus Christ is Kyrios, Yeshuis, Christos. Okay, and I know that's the correct pronunciation because I practiced them. <laughs> so um, does anybody know the interpretation of those words? I know Jim does because he uses them a lot. <laughs> okay, so Kyrios, Kyrios, we've heard many times before, and that's sovereign. Uh, or, or master, yes, or um, uh, authority. Uh, Yeshua, or Yeshua is referred to as our Savior. Um, so, and how do we know that? Um, if you remember the, the story of the angel talking to Mary, he shall be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So the angel specifically says Jesus means Savior um, in that context. So Luke records it that way, Matthew records it that way as well. So when we look at that, um, Yeshua is the Hebrew name, uh, Savior, and Christos, uh, or Christ, is anointed or Messiah. And so uh, Paul here gives credit to God the Father as well as Jesus Christ, um, the Messiah and the anointed one as well. Um, I want to back up to verse 1 when he says, Together with the overseers and the deacons. Um, he gives special mention or makes special mention of the overseers and the deacons who are included with the saints. And the overseers, they were also called bishops or elders um, that we, we just studied in Titus. Uh, he was referring to those. And, and they were responsible for shepherding or pastoring, and the deacons were those church leaders mm-hmm with special service responsibilities within the assembly, uh, much like what we read in Acts chapter 6, when Stephen was appointed and and others the the other men that were appointed to serve uh, while Peter and the disciples were administering the word. So then in verse 3, like I said before, about ten years had passed since Paul had first worked among the Philippians Uh, But the passing of of time had not diminished his love or his interest in them. So if we look at that verse, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day Of Christ Jesus. So he takes them from the moment that they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and he and he says that I have joy because you have been faithful through every day and he is sure he is certain that they're going to be faithful all the way till the rapture. And one thing that I found interesting is that this book is always Paul is constantly talking about his encouragement and he's constantly talking about how they are living as, Christian, as Christians, and in, then he also goes on to talk about how they should continue to persevere in what they're doing. And one thing I noticed in here, um, now I've not exhausted the complete book, and you can correct me if I'm wrong if you've read this and you've seen differently, but in this book in Philippians, I've not seen anywhere where he rebukes them for false teaching or tells them to beware of false teaching. And I think it's the only book in the New Testament that doesn't. Because in every other book, um, Jesus warns about it. uh, And it may be in there, it may be hidden. I'm not saying it isn't. But what I am saying is what he's describing in just these first few verses of their faithfulness and their perseverance. It's almost as though there may not even be a need to warn against that because they're walking so tight. And they are so close with one another as well as with Christ in their walk. So, as a body of believers here, I'll let you talk in a minute. <laughs> I figured you'd have something to say about it. <laughs> no, no, I know. But <clears throat> what, what I'm referring to is there is such a tight-knit group from, from day one that Paul describes of people. Um, and, and I don't know, I, I'm not sure on this. This is just my opinion. But the Romans have a, a, a presentation of authority to begin with. And so I think when this is just the way I would feel, I guess, so don't take this as scripture, but if, if the authorities in that city are saying, we're going to follow Christ, and they are as strong about that as they were about persecuting people who went against the Romans, I think it would be a pretty strong uh, group. But I say further than that, uh, or even stronger than that is when people, a group of people gather together and are completely 100% um, devoted to being faithful to Jesus Christ and you have others around you that are the same way, there is no greater power in, uh, in so far as human beings are concerned other than Jesus Christ living completely and fully through a group of people. Yes. Oh, okay.
1: So through, through the rest of Philippians, whenever you read you, it's always the body. It's never a person. So that's why he addresses them, you know, to the elders, overseers, deacons, and everyone else. So from that point on, you began a good work in you, is not to an individual. It's a collective group. Yes, yes. So yes. there probably are somewhat of a mixture, but he's he's addressing the Christ followers as a group.
0: Okay. Do you think... Do you think that that address is necessary in this particular
1: group? Well, I mean, everything we know about Philippi is positive, and like you say, Paul always addresses, even in his other letters, when he talks about Philippi, the church and not individuals there.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: So it would be, I mean, that they are a great, awesome example, it would be unlikely that there would be no one
0: who needed correction. Right, right but there's nobody there disrupting in a, in a, you know, right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So anyway, he says, he talks about in verse six, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. If we jump down to verse 10, uh, actually, let's start in verse nine. And he says, and this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Both of those passages are talking about the rapture as the day of Christ. Um, And also, I I love the way he describes, I don't think I've read a prayer of Paul's where he has not mentioned that growth in the knowledge of the Scripture has to come as a, a number one, and surrender to it. So when we do read and we do study the the, the Bible, the Gospel message, um, even in the Old Testament, I, I'm I'm just i I'm, I'm becoming in love with uh, <laughs> more and more with the study that we do in men's Bible study um, because I'm seeing so many evidences uh, in Leviticus of the picture of Christ and also the picture of the millennium um, that's coming out or that's there that I've never realized before. And so Paul reaffirms, you know, to continue to study the Scripture and to continue to pursue after God, pursue after Christ, the blood of Jesus crucified and rose from the dead and stick to the message and walk with him faithfully. And he describes in verse 11, Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So when you're filled, what is there room for? Nothing. Nothing. So I look at this McDonald's cup sitting here, and I, uh, I started complaining to my wife a few years ago <laughs> about the McDonald's drinks. And she says, why is that? I said, take the lid off. She takes the lid off, and she goes, okay. I said, it's not full. And and I said they make them with these lids now that dish down so that you can't put the lid on if it's full. And if you don't fill it up, then you you have to leave it down a little bit. You're saying what's that have to do with this? Because when we're full, we kind of spill over a little bit. You know, you can't help. If you're being carried, you're you're (laughs) you're gonna spill out. You're going to distribute what God has put in you, what he has filled you with, and then he will fill you and continue filling you. Um, I think he gives a, a, an important um, directive that to be filled with the Spirit, and I think that's a, a repeated, ongoing thing. And that's done, again, through the study of the Scripture, through praising and worshiping together, uh, to in serving one another um, as well. So I don't have a lot of Wow, I'm halfway through this already. <laughs> I don't have a lot of other uh, cross-references to these scriptures, which, but I'll have next week. Um, but I'm just, I'm, I, I, as I read through the prayers of Paul, and he says that he is so full of joy, because after 10 years, um, he hasn't been back there, and after 10 years he's still getting a report of their faithfulness to Christ, uh, and he's received a gift from them as well. Um, that we'll read about later uh, in chapter 2 and and he's just overjoyed with with how they have been following after him so if we go into verse 12 uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read on a little farther he says now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what happened has happened to me has actually say served to advance the gospel As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. How many of us know that the people that probably persecute us the most know that we're followers of Christ, and that's why they're they're in that position in our life? Do you understand what I'm asking? So in other words, what I'm, the, the question I'm asking is, if I have a struggle with another individual over spiritual things, is it because I've presented the gospel clearly to them and they are clearly saying, I don't accept the offer? I don't accept. And have I done it? In a way? Because what I've found is most of the time when I am faced with that kind of opposition, either A, I've not presented it clearly, Um, or i have not lived it clearly in front of that particular person. Now, I don't say that accusing anybody else of anything, um, but I believe that if I am real about my faith and my walk with Christ, and Monday morning through Saturday, my faith is just the same as it is when I'm in here on Sunday morning, even the people that reject me the most have enough respect to say, you know what, that's for you, Uh, but I'm not accepting now I don't say that to say that I don't suffer persecution or I don't want to suffer persecution Uh, I don't go looking for it saying I hope I get persecuted today and somebody hates me but I do enter in to conversations with people um, and the persecution is not on my mind when I am 100 percent walking with the Lord and when I'm 100 percent know when I know that God has put me in this place for this purpose, and that's to talk to these people or that person or whatever. Um, and I can enter into that, and if the end result is like what Paul's experiencing, he's saying, don't worry about what I'm going through because the gospel message is still going out. That's how we're able to enter into those conversations and share the gospel with people. And if the result is pain and suffering, We can still go into that with joy because we know that the gospel is going forward. So how many of you have heard about anybody who's been imprisoned because they refuse to obey somebody else other than Christ and they say, no, I'm going to follow Christ? Have you heard about it in the news? (laughs) Did that person go to jail going, man, I hope over there in America they hear about what's going on here. Was that the purpose? No, all they were doing was going, I'm going to church today. I'm going to serve today. Wow, that's a tall fence. Now what? We're going to serve the Lord today. Okay, you're under arrest. And then what happens? You know, does does that mean that everybody that sees it on TV hears the gospel? No, but man, what an opportunity when you're talking to somebody in the supermarket or in the gas station and you pick up a newspaper or you hear something on the radio or you see something on the TV monitor that's in there and you go, wow, what do you think about all this? What do you think about these kinds of... and just start inquiring and asking questions about what people think. Well, Do you know what the Bible says? Do you want to know what the truth is? Um, because time and time again, there's so many times I, I've I've heard people say things... Um, and they say, well, I believe this, or I believe that. And, and there's many times, or sometimes I'll follow with the question, if what you believed was un- incorrect, would you want to know? If, if what you believe is not true, would you want to know the truth? And even if they say no, eventually, before the conversation's over, the curiosity gets the best of them and say, well, okay, let's just say yes, I did. What would you tell me? Okay, (laughs) now we can openly share the gospel because you've gotten their permission to say, tell me what the truth is. Because everybody at some point or another is curious. And once you tell them, I guarantee you at some point, the Holy Spirit will tell them, if you don't listen, there are consequences. And there will be, what's that? They don't want to hear that that part, but that's not up to me to make them feel that. They need to hear it probably from me. They need to hear it from me. Uh, from the scripture through me um, and they don't want to hear that but when it when they really feel uncomfortable is when they're by themselves and the Holy Spirit is going remember what was said it's true and the spirit inside of them will will tell them and the Holy Spirit will tell them and so oftentimes when you're met with persecution it's probably a result of hey I shared with you the truth and if I did it with love, and I did it with gentleness and respect, and the answer is no, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit hits them, they go, you did this to me. Get away from me. And so the lash out is automatically uh, rebounded back on us when the reality is is they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting Christ. And so that's where it makes it difficult. I know it is with me. When somebody comes back at me like that, I want to, what? I didn't do anything. You're the one that's a sinner. You're the one that's doing all these things. You're the one that's rejecting Christ. You know, and, I, and that's not the right way to respond, but that's in my, in my flesh. If I get in the flesh, that's how I'll respond. You know? So anyway, um, so Paul goes on to say, don't feel bad for me because of what is happening to me. He says, it actually served to advance the gospel message. Verse 14, he says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And so the, the, that's, that's kind of the awesomeness of the peace that comes through the grace that's given by Jesus Christ through obedience. The peace that comes is they can proclaim the gospel, excuse me, without fear. Is anybody fearful of proclaiming the gospel? Yeah. I know you're not. You do it all the time. But you're bigger than everybody else. That's what I used to say to my brother all the time. You're not afraid because you're bigger. You know? Um, so. Right. For me, it's it's probably easier to share the gospel with people who are, that I don't know. Um, because yeah, I approach them. I don't know anything about their life. I don't know anything about their history, anything like that. They don't have any presuppositions about me. I just walk up and I say, hey, you know what? And I tell them them about Christ. If they say, get lost, I go, okay, well, maybe I'll see you around, maybe I won't. But somebody that I work with and I see on a regular basis day to day and somebody who's seen me um, maybe fly off the handle at another person because things weren't going right or at a customer because they blamed me for something on their car that you know, and they've seen me go through that before and respond incorrectly, that's the person that's difficult for me to witness to because they can go, well, you want me to live this way, but you remember when? And, you know, they may not say that out loud, but in the back of their mind, they may be reminded of that. And that oftentimes will cause the, you know, the, the devil or whoever you want to call it will say, You're not worthy to share the gospel because you did this. When the reality is, it's the perfect opportunity to say, you know what, you're right. And I had to repent of that before God, and I'm sorry, I repent of that before you. And I give you the permission right now, if you ever see me respond that way, you tell me. Because God is changing me. And so I hope that you see the change that's being made rather than the man I used to be, or the woman that I used to be. And so... The reality is, is even in our uh, failures, we can continue to profess the name of Jesus Christ because he is constantly changing us. And so uh, to use that also to motivate us um, to live more for Christ, because one of the things that I've prayed um, for a number of years now is, Lord, don't let me do anything that's going to disqualify me from your service. Lord, don't let me do anything that's going to uh, hinder the testimony of Jesus Christ going forward. Um, and so I've asked that. And there's been times when he does just that. Um, there's been times in my life where I've had a struggle, and I'm Lord, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And all of a sudden, you know, and just for the sake of example, all of a sudden Larry rolls in the driveway on his way home from work. And he says, hey, man, what's going on? Oh, hi, Larry. How you doing? <laughs> I'm struggling today. Thanks for stopping by. You know, and if if I think if we answer those or ask those prayers seriously with the Lord, he will take them. He takes them seriously. I know he does. And he does provide a way out. And he does see. um, And eventually he wants me to get to the point where I don't have to pray that thing, that that type of prayer. But that I go right to the scripture and say, Lord, because I love you more than I love myself, I'm going to do this. Doesn't mean that temptation won't ever come, but temptation becomes less and less or easier to resist because my desire is no longer for that, but it's for Jesus Christ. Yes. So
1: then you also gotta be able to be truthful with yourself and have
0: Larry or whoever? Right. awesome, you know right. today. This is why. Right. I mean, you gotta have a so select view you do that with. So you can assume <clears throat> Right. I have temptation or, uh, I fell today. Right. To, and then, you know, he's there to right. Yeah, and the perfect example of of where Christ wants us to be is Jesus Himself when He confronts the devil in the wilderness, and He responds to the devil with Scripture. So it's important that we know enough of the scripture that we continue to study the scripture so that when we don't have our Bible right in front of us and there is a temptation, um, you know, sometimes it could be just walking into a, uh, the gas station or walking into the store or whatever. There could be a temptation that pops into your mind because of something that you see that reminds you of something else and you know how all that stuff works. But to have the scripture so fresh in your mind daily, that you can walk passing, you know what? I'm not that person anymore. And I love Christ, and I want Christ to be able to let me witness to the, per- the next person that I see on the other side of the door. And if I go this way, I forfeit the, the opportunity and the reward that comes uh, from that as well. So, in verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy, rivalry but others out of goodwill the latter do so out of love knowing that i am put here for the defense of the gospel and the former preach christ out of selfish ambition not sincerity supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while i'm in change so i guess that would probably be the closest that i could find in this particular in this book um, about warning against false teaching Um, but again he doesn't name a specific person uh, but he does say just be cautious of of a hireling. Um, I've heard that referred to by a couple of different pastors this week, um, a hireling. It's easy to identify a hireling within uh, a short period of time usually because most of them, uh, <laughs> this is going to sound bad, but I don't mean it to, uh, but a pastor who presents a resume before they go into a church, they say, here's my education, here's my, my background, this is what my family history is, and they say, okay, now will, I, will you accept me as your pastor? It's, it's difficult for me not to look at that and say, are you here for a job, or are you here to serve the Lord? And the reason why I bring that up is I think I mentioned this last week is that there's a lot of people, kids, teenagers, they go through high school, Um, they're in a church, they'll be following the Lord, they'll be serving the Lord, and not perfect, you know, but they're they're pursuing uh, uh, some sort of ministry, and they're looking for guidance, and they're looking for direction, and we go, you know what, if you go to this seminary here, they will equip you really well. And that sounds like a good thing, but the reality is, if that's our attitude, is for them to go to this seminary and then become a leader of a church, The question I have to ask is, how much of equipping have you done already? Because if they haven't been pretty significantly equipped before they go there, and your intention is not for them to go there and return here as a a servant, as a leader, and be be, uh, discipled into leadership here, we're really not doing it the way that Paul describes and we're really not doing it the way that God has intended for it to happen. Um, another clear picture of a hireling would be somebody who goes to a church, and then a year, a year and a half later, says, I'm being called to another church. I'm sorry, this is going to be my last day, and they're, they're leaving with nobody there to replace them. There's nobody that's been that God has been raising up and that they have been working together with and so when you see that happen, and now the pastor's gone, and the flock is, uh, we've got to find a pastor, quick. And, and in the church that I grew up in, I saw that happen um, probably four, about four years ago. And, and my folks, my parents were calling me and saying, man, we, we really need a pastor. We pray um, that God will bring us a pastor. And I, I finally, I, I said, mom, I won't. <laughs> And she says, what do you mean? I said, you have people in your church that are qualified and equipped to lead that church, but they're sitting there going, no, 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 it's not for me. And she went, well, you're right. But I can't make them do it. And I said, okay. So I said, my prayer is going to be, Lord, raise up somebody, the person in their church that you have called, that you have equipped. Give them the boldness. Give them the, the... the obedience or the perseverance to follow after you and uh, and and bring that person in. Um, eventually, that didn't happen. Um, they they brought a, a pastor from a sister church, um, and so they kind of they got together with this other church. So they're kind of um, kind of married to one another. Similar to I think what the uh, some of the churches in Paul's day were like. There were church groups scattered all around, but they were all in unity. Um, with the gospel message, uh, but anyway, so, um, but yeah, there's, there's always a case where um, God is always preparing today, even today, God is preparing someone, I believe that's here already, that is going to take my place someday, that's going to take Jim's place someday, um, and if they're not here already, he will bring them, and we have a responsibility to uh, train them as well. So anyway, sorry, I kind of got off the subject a little bit there. Um, In verse 18, he says, But what does it matter? He's talking about while he's in chains. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So we can continue to rejoice even if the the Lord is uh, being glorified with wrong motives. Uh, We don't continue to give that person any credit or any acknowledgement. Um, but we do take what is being preached, what the truth is, and carry it forward. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, and I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that, now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So even at this point, Paul is ready to die for his, for his faith in Christ. Um, I'm, I'm fairly certain that he's aware that this is not how it's going to end uh, because he still has instructions that were given to him um, that needed to be carried out. Uh, but he does realize, you know, he was, when he was in Philippi, there were just before that and also after that, um, that he was. He was beaten um, and we read that last week that while he was there, one of the three times that he describes uh, he was beaten three times with rods, uh, Philippi was one of those places or I'm sorry, just I think it was just before, I don't remember. Uh, but anyway, he describes that if he is, if he is to go on, go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. Um, I want to back up to uh, one thing that I forgot to mention, uh, filled with the fruit of righteousness, this is uh, in, in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, turn to Second Timothy real quick. How would we, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6, and I know we've read this passage uh, recently as well, but um, how do we describe the fruit, how would you describe the fruit of righteousness to another person? First of all, you have to define what is righteousness. How how would you define righteousness? Doing Doing right in God's eyes. So then what would the fruit of righteousness be? Okay, what God produces in you and, okay, obedience. I I picture as um, a tree, a fruit tree, as being reproductive. So if there's fruit of righteousness coming out of me and I, or better yet, out of Jim, because... I feel that I'm more on the receiving end than I am on the giving end most of the time. So I'm going to pick Jim. If there's fruit of righteousness coming out of him into me, there's going to be fruit of righteousness coming out of me to the next person. And that's going to continue and that's going to reproduce more fruit of righteousness. So when Paul says to Timothy, I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near and I have fought the good fight I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. <clears throat> he's giving this destri- description to the, the group in Philippi as well when he's talking about the fruit of righteousness that's being produced there in them and that's being reproduced in the people that are that they are witnessing to as well and so a a completely different study i believe there is there five crowns that are described in the new testament um there's a crown of righteousness uh crown of life life, yeah i can't i can't remember all of them but anyway um there are there are i believe there's five i don't remember exactly Uh, but there are crowns that are awaiting uh, for us, and, and Paul in 2 Timothy 4 is describing uh, one of those uh, to Timothy as he encourages him to, to continue on. Um, I'm going to go ahead and stop right there because the rest of this I need to look a little deeper into, uh, but I appreciate your attention this morning, and uh, God bless you guys.
1: Thank you.